Hello, it's Richard Caro here, and welcome to the final episode of the series of Years of Hurt, an international football podcast where we look back at the final and the third place playoff of the World Cup and give our awards for the best and worst of Qatar 2022. As ever, you can follow us on Twitter at YOHFootball and you can also subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Search for Years of Hurt in the bar, wherever you have a search bar. Do that. We love you for it. Thank you very much. So getting right to the news and Gianni Infantino has announced a rethink of the 2026 World Cup format due to the exciting climax to the group stages at Qatar 2022. He described this as the best World Cup ever, which I think is open to interpretation. I think it's too early really to say if that's the case, because I think he probably would have said the same thing straight after Russia in 2018, but in in hindsight, it probably isn't. He said that 3.27 million spectators had attended the games compared to an overall 3.3 million at the 2018 World Cup in Russia. So that is slightly down which you probably expect considering how many stadiums were half empty in some of those group games. Infantino praised Morocco's run to the semi-finals and Stephanie Frappo, the first woman to referee a World Cup match. That wasn't all that Infantino was talking about. He also announced a 32-team club World Cup for June 2025, which is sort of a club version of the World Cup. However, the Global Players Union FIFA Pro said in a statement that the plan could have serious consequences for and aggregate pressure on the welfare and employment of players. It added these decisions were taken unilaterally without seriously consulting, let alone agreeing with the players. A lot of people not very happy about that decision. Obviously, it would mean that not only the Euros and the World Cup would, you know, European teams have to lose their players, but also I kind of like the idea, but I do think there is a problem with burnout and players are already complaining about too many games. So is it that a great idea? I don't know. And in a build-up to the final, there was some illness in the France camp. They didn't really mention what the illness was. It sounds a bit like COVID, but I'm not sure if it is. Infected players were isolating in their rooms and strict social distancing was being enforced. And we'll talk about how that affected them very shortly. We have one late breaking news story, which is that Gareth Southgate has agreed to stay on as England manager until after Euro 2024. It's someone I expected to hear after he took a bit of time to think about his decision. And obviously his contract runs out in late 2024. So it does make sense for him to stay on. But it will be interesting to see if he decides to take this England team any further than that. Yes, after 63 games, it all came down to one final match at the Lusail Stadium on Sunday. Argentina took on France in the 2022 World Cup final. It was Mbappe versus Messi, Loris versus Martinez, Varane versus the other Martinez. Before we get to this match, let's look at how both sides got to the final. Argentina had a terrible start to their campaign in Group C as Saudi Arabia shocked the world and beat them 2-1. The Argentines recovered in their last two games, winning 2-0 against Mexico and Poland, which saw them finish top of their group. Despite controlling most of the game, Argentina held a nervy 2-1 lead against Australia for their dramatic quarterfinal with the Netherlands. 
A late, late comeback from the Dutch sent the game into extra time at 2-2. Penalties followed and misses from Van Dijk and Berghaus sent Argentina into the last four. Croatia, who beat Brazil in the quarterfinals, couldn't repeat those heroics as Argentina won comfortably 3-0 to make it to the final with some messy magic on display. France were drawn in Group D and they had an early scare going 1-0 down to Australia. They pulled the game back in emphatic style, winning 4-1. In a tight game against Denmark, Mbappe proved to be the deciding factor in a 2-1 win. Having already qualified after two games, France named a weaker side against Tunisia and subsequently lost 1-0. Not that it made much difference to the group. Another Mbappe double followed in a last 16 clash with Poland. A late Lewandowski consolation from the spot didn't make a difference as France won 3-1. A titanic clash with England followed. Despite the three Lions having the lion's share of the attacking play, France were clinical with their two goals set up by Griezmann. A battling Morocco side pressed France hard at times but couldn't find that crucial goal. Duchamp's super subs Turam and Mouani ensured France a place in the last two with a 2-0 win. So how did they get on in the final? I'm going to tell you where it starts, right there. Kingsley Coleman taking the ball off Messi. Brilliant, plays it inside to Rabiot. Now, this is amazing. He gives it and goes. I'm thinking to myself, he's going to take a touch here and run and go. He meets it in the volley. It's a tremendous finish. Gets his body right over it, right across the face of the goal. Kingsley Coleman does tremendously well on the right-hand side. Plays the ball into Rabiot. That finish is fantastic. He gets a hand to it. Unstoppable. Despite France's issues with the virus that's been in their camp, they did pretty much field a first 11 in terms of who they had available at this tournament, with Varane and Upamenko being fit, along with Rabiot. So initially, it didn't seem like it affected them. In the first half, Di Maria was, had the ball down the left, near the corner flag, came into the box. Dembele seemed to make a little bit of contact with him, and the referee gave a penalty. There was only a slight bit of contact there, and Di Maria went down really easily, in fairness. Lionel Messi stepped up and slotted it into the right bottom corner to make it 1-0 to Argentina after 22 minutes. Alvarez played it through. McAllister chipped it over to Di Maria on the left and a lovely goal, a fantastic team goal by Argentina. Di Maria slotted it past the keeper with his left foot. Argentina in cruise control after 35 minutes. Just fantastic build-up play. Loads of passes, bringing it together, almost as good as the Dutch goal against the USA. In the second half, Muani made a run through, but he was taken down in the box by Otamendi. And out of nowhere, really, France had a chance to get a goal back from a penalty. Up stepped Mbappe to equal Messi's record of the golden boot. He walloped it into the left corner. Martinez almost got a hand on it. Mbappe picked the ball out of the net to give France a little bit of hope there. Then just a minute or so later, Common picked up the ball on the right, played it across to Rabiot, who chipped it over, a header down by Mbappe. Lovely one-two and a brilliant finish by Mbappe. Could you believe it? The team who barely had any shots at all before the penalty now equalised. 2-2. Once again, Argentina have thrown away a 2-0 lead. Absolutely incredible stuff here. In extra time, Montiel had the ball on the right-hand side, chipped it over the top. 
Martinez knocked it down to Messi, to Fernandez. Martinez had the shot from the right. It was saved by Loris and the rebound was shot by Messi. Sort of cleared off the line, but no, it was over the line. It was a goal. Dramatic stuff with only 12 minutes to go. Argentina took the lead, which surely, surely that would be the winner, right? And it was clearly over the line, so there was no real arguments there. None, none of this Jeff Hurst nonsense. In the 25th minute of extra time, Common had a corner. Mbappe had the shot, but it seemed to be blocked off Paredes' arm. It was given as a penalty. For a minute there, we thought it might be a free kick, but actually it was a penalty. Mbappe stepped up, and he did one better than Harry Kane by scoring two penalties in the same match. Can you believe it? Three minutes to go, and France equalised again. Argentina free, France free. You couldn't write this script. And that was how it was after extra time. Then we had the penalty shootout. Mbappe stepped up once again to take his third penalty of the game and scored once again. I think France would wish Mbappe could take all of their penalties. 1-0 to France. The maestro Messi, a really cheeky penalty, actually rolled it in so calmly, but beyond Loris, I thought he almost stuffed that one up. But fair play to him to do that in a World Cup final, 1-1. Kingsley Common had the next penalty and was saved by Martinez once again. The star of the show when it comes to penalty shootouts. Debaya, who was just brought on for the penalties, scored right down the middle. I think more penalty takers should take it down the middle. 2-1 to Argentina and in control now. Giacomini steps up and he put it wide. Can you believe it? France in absolute dire straits at this point. Paredes stepped up for the penalty and Loris couldn't quite get to it. 3-1 to Argentina and he just one goal away from winning the World Cup. Mouani stepped up. He had to score to keep France's hopes alive. He hammered it down the middle to make it 3-2. You see, down the middle works most of the time. Then it was down to Montiel. If he scored, Argentina won. And he put it in the net, sending Loris the wrong way. Argentina 4, France 2. Once again winning a penalty shootout for the second time in the tournament and Argentina are the World Cup champions for the third time ever. It was written in the stars. Quite possibly the greatest of all time. Messi inspires Argentina to a third World Cup triumph. Their first for a generation. And one that will be remembered as belonging to him. Wow, 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 wow. What a ludicrous game of football. After 80 minutes, it seemed like it was nailed on for Argentina. They were controlling the game. They were having lots of attacking play. France had zero shots for most of the game. And zero shots on target. And then that penalty happened and it changed everything in a split second. Even with the subs that Deschamps made, bringing on Turan, bringing on Muani, bringing on Komen, didn't really make a difference at the first instance. But overall, it was really Otamendi's idiocy to give away that penalty, giving Mbappe that goal, and straight after <laughs> the second, it was just so unbelievable. What an incredible ending to this game. I mean, extra time as well. I love this extra time period. and It's what you want to see in an extra time period. 
And sometimes you just don't see it. You see both teams play for penalties. But in this extra time period, they both were wanting to win. And, you know, that incredible moment when Messi scores and you're thinking, right, this is definitely it now. Surely this is it, right? Surely it's it. And no, it's not. They give away another penalty. I mean, they've kind of got to be unlucky with that one. But, you know, rules are rules and a handball in the box is a penalty. And Mbappe scores again, you know. Sorry, Harry Kane, you can actually score two penalties in a game. In fact, Mbappe scored three because he scored from the shootout as well. Oh, I mean, what is it with Argentina? Argentina have won this World Cup, but they've taken the hard way of doing it because they should have won in normal time against the Netherlands. They should have won in normal time against France and they blew both of them. So they are pretty damn lucky that they have a fantastic goalkeeper for, for penalty shootouts. You know, if you're Aston Villa, right, you want to you have some FA Cup ties go to penalties because you're probably sorted. People are saying this is the best World Cup final ever. I think it might be the most exciting, most dramatic one. It's hard to say if it's the best right now because you have to look back at those old uh, World Cup finals and try and compare. But in fairness, they are usually quite cagey games. This wasn't really. It was quite open. I thought Argentina actually played really well. The one thing I would say is why did they take Di Maria off so early? When they're playing so well, Nakuna had a rubbish game when he came on. That, that was a really bad substitution. And you're just kind of thinking at this point, they should have just wrapped the game up. But they just didn't. And I mean, for France, yeah, it's really, I don't know whether the France virus affected them. It seemed like their players weren't playing quite 100% and Varane obviously went off in extra time because he was injured. In fact, how many substitutions were there? I lost count. I think there was about eight substitutions for France. Anyway, that's a different point. I do think Argentina deserved to win on the balance of play. They should have had it wrapped up a lot earlier. And, you know, this is a big moment for Argentina. It's the first time in my lifetime that I've seen Argentina win a World Cup. It never happened since 1986. So this is a big deal. It's their third World Cup. First time a South American side has won the World Cup since 2002. And Messi finally gets that final tick on his bucket list of football that now he's not only won Copa America, he's also won the World Cup. So why on earth would he play any more football for Argentina? I think he's going to retire, call it quits, end on the highest possible note. Messi will always be a legend of football, and he will always be up there with Maradona as a real parallel to him in terms of what he's done for the game. And, you know, I I didn't want to get on with the Messi gushing, because I thought it was I thought the BBC were going a bit nuts with Messi gushing. But I've got to be honest, he was incredible. And the fact that he's always involved in these games is fantastic. But, you know, this is a team game in Argentina with players like McAllister from Brighton. I mean, what is it about Brighton players? It's like, you have to play Brighton players at this tournament, otherwise you lose. That was the problem for England. Not enough Brighton players. <laughs> anyway, you, know, you had uh, Fernandez, who was really good. Obviously, Di Maria came out of nowhere. He seems to be a very sort of hot and cold player, doesn't he? He seems like he's either going to play absolutely, he's going to do absolutely nothing or he's going to be brilliant. And today he was brilliant. And yes, their goalkeeper Martinez has to take big, big credit for all those penalty saves in both the quarterfinals and the final. One thing I will say, though, it's kind of messed up my awards, which you're about to hear, because first off, best goal... There's, there's probably two in there, the Argentina second goal and France the second goal that could probably be in that category, and they're not, because I recorded it before the final. I, I think I've put Mbappe out the best 11 spoiler alert, who probably should have been in there. And finally, I would say best match. This wasn't in line for best match, but in overall, it probably was the best match of the tournament. What 
this is what you want from a tournament, isn't it? The best, save the best to last. And they definitely did in this World Cup final. Although I wouldn't have said that after 80 minutes. After 80 minutes, I would have told you something completely different. I would have been upset there was such a one-sided World Cup final and that France didn't turn up. But thank goodness they did. And this was absolute drama for the best part of three hours, I think it was. I lost count how long. And at the end, you know, at the end of that extra time, you just kind of wanted it to carry on and be like a golden goal period because literally there were so many attacks and at some point someone would have scored that next goal. So absolutely brilliant way to finish this tournament in Qatar. Body's in the way from Morocco, but they can't get that ball back. Oh, that is superb! From the angle, Orsic with a beauty. They were taking their time, Croatia, to have a go at goal. But in the end, what a go at goal. It's time to look back at the most important game of the World Cup, in my opinion, the third, fourth place playoff, of course, a match that had literally nothing riding on it. Croatia took on Morocco in this bronze medal clash, which traditionally sees teams field a reserve team. You haven't had many minutes on the pitch in the tournament. So I've also called up my B team to cover this third place playoff. Here's a Clive that didn't leave Qatar at the World Cup quarterfinal stage. Over to you, Clive. Thank you, Richard. Hello, it's Clive here. My recap of the third, fourth place playoff taking place at the Wiz Khalifa International Stadium in Doha. Things started off brightly as both teams played with much more freedom. Now they're both eliminated from the tournament. It was a very open first half, a big improvement on the first time these teams met at the World Cup in the group stage in a boring 0-0 draw. Croatia looked bright in the early stages as Bono almost kicked the ball in his own net. But he does move in mysterious ways. Perhaps he had a touch of vertigo. Croatia got the breakthrough in seven minutes after a clever free kick as Maya played it to Perisic, who headed across to Garvinal with a fantastic diving header to make it 1-0. Forget the masked singer, you need a masked defender. Just two minutes later, Morocco got the equaliser. Another free kick coming in for the right by Ziyech. The ball fell onto the head of Dari, who steered it in to make it 1-1. Modric's shot was spilled by Bono. I guess Modric didn't show enough desire. Ziyech played a lovely bit of skill to Hakimi, but his cross was just behind El Nesri. This great first half ended with an absolutely stunning shot from an acute angle by Orsic. It went off the post and in to give Croatia a memorable 2-1 lead going into the break. Orsic also had a chance to make it free in the second half, but his deflected shot went wide. Garvidal went down the box like a sack of potatoes, but no penalty, said the referee, and VAR agreed. It looked like a blatant die first, but it was definitely some contact. The second half overall was pretty pants, as Croatia held on to achieve third place, winning by two goals to one. They prevented Bono from having a beautiful day. Thank you very much there, Clive. Great analysis. It was quite a fun for fourth place playoff, wasn't it? I think... You know, you've got very low expectations of that game, but sometimes it does give you a fun game. I think it did overall. Although, like Clive was saying, disappointing second half, really. So we'll end our series with our World Cup awards. I have various different categories to go through, and I'll talk about some of the nominees and the overall winner. Our first category is biggest disappointment. 
The nominees are Germany, who got knocked out in the group stage. Spain, who got knocked out in the second round by Morocco. Belgium, who also got knocked out in the group stage. And Denmark, who also got knocked out in the group stage and only got one point. And our winner, you might be surprised about this, but I thought about it. You know, Spain actually got through their group and did win 7-0 against Costa Rica. So we can't really call them biggest disappointment. Germany got four points and didn't qualify, but they still got four points. So they still got a win, as did Belgium. They also got a win. But Denmark, in my opinion, were the most disappointing team because they only got one point in the entire group stage when they were being quite heavily tipped to do something in this tournament. Everyone's going, oh, they beat France in the Nations League, like the Nations League means anything at all. So for me, they were the biggest disappointment at this tournament, only getting one point out of nine. So Denmark are the winners of biggest disappointment. On to our next category, best underdog. The nominees are Japan for defeating Spain and Germany in the group stage, Saudi Arabia for their memorable victory against Argentina, Morocco for getting to the semi-finals with some great wins against Belgium, Spain and Portugal and Croatia for knocking out the favourites Brazil in the quarterfinals. The winner is of course it would be Morocco probably my favourite team in the tournament fantastic run you've got to give them massive props I know they won a game on penalties but overall my favourite team did everything right and they were just the team you got behind as as the World Cup went on and remember watching that France match, really frustrated that Morocco didn't win, although they played really well. Our third category is for best WTF moment. You probably know what that stands for. The nominations are 16 yellow cards and a red in Netherlands versus Argentina, 27 minutes of added time in England versus Iran, those two minutes where Japan and Costa Rica looked like they would go through and knock out Spain and Germany in Group E. Or a Bubakar who got sent off for scoring the winner against Brazil for Cameroon. This is a tightly contested category, I'd say. I think it was between the Netherlands-Argentina match. And this one, that was the winner. Yeah, it was those two minutes where we thought Japan and Costa Rica were going to qualify ahead of Spain and Germany, which was... This just really summed up how great the permutations were in those last games of the group, which have been really good, not just at this World Cup, but also at Euro 2020. That was one of the highlights of that tournament as well. So it really does seem like FIFA are going to have to sort this out so we have four teams in a group. Otherwise, the next World Cup is going to be a bit of a mess. Our next category, very special category for VAR. It's the VAR moment of the World Cup. The nominations are... Argentina's trio of offside goals in the Argentina versus Saudi Arabia game. Japan's second goal against Spain was over the line, was it not? Belgium being denied a penalty for offside against Croatia. And a harsh handball penalty in Portugal versus Uruguay. Now, I could have made the whole category about contentious penalty decisions, but I thought I'd better keep it flexible. And I think the winner has to be Japan's second goal. And just the discourse around this, did the ball go over the line? It looked like on a lot of the cameras that it did. If you actually see the FIFA footage that they released, it doesn't quite go over the line. So they did make the right decision, but it was probably the most controversial decision at this World Cup, I would say. Maybe there was a couple of penalty decisions that might have got there. But for me, that's where VAR took the biscuit. Japan's second goal against Spain. Now we come on to the Chris Waddle Award for Worst Penalty Taker. The nominations are 
Harry Kane for his second penalty miss against France for England. Lewandowski, who missed two penalties in this tournament, did score one, although one of them was actually retaken against France. That didn't count. And he missed also against Mexico. Marquinhos, who missed in the shootout for Brazil against Croatia. And the entire Spain team, who failed to score any goals in the shootout against Morocco. Sadly, we can only give this to one person in particular because his penalty was so much like Chris, Chris Waddle's penalty at Italian 19. That's Harry Kane. Yes, the first penalty was great, but the fact that Harry Kane, a quality striker, did not hit the target on that second go is just pretty much unexcusable. And I guess the moment gets to you and obviously the pressure of that, but I can't not give this to Harry Kane, even though the Spain team are incredibly rubbish at penalties and making look, they made England look decent. I mean, it's not, it's not a coincidence that one of the two teams England have beaten on penalties is Spain. Let's just say that. But yeah, got to give it to Harry Kane. Sorry, Harry. Bear luck next time. We come to our category best off the field moment and the nominations are Wales fans reacting to their loss to Iran, Saka meeting David Beckham, Infantino's bizarre monologue before the tournament, and Japan fans and players tidying up after themselves. Now, this was quite a tight category. I pretty much eliminated David Beckham because I thought there's so much controversy about him and I don't think he deserves to be recognised with an award here, considering what he's done with Qatar. The Welsh fans were quite funny, although they got it wrong about Iron Sheik and Bob Batlam being at WrestleMania. That was at MSG. Infantino's bizarre monologue, I think, has to win this category, sadly, because it is the most... It's going to be one of the most defining things about this tournament, how Gianni Infantino wasn't... The fact he was always on screen and how he's been such a presence and trying to create this kind of empire at FIFA. It feels like it's going to fall down all at one point. I've got to give it to Infantino as much as I'm not really a fan of the guy. His bizarre monologue was just kind of defined what this tournament was all about. Right, we've got three of the big ones now in our awards, starting with best goal. And it was absolute corkers in this tournament. I managed to narrow it down to four, but I'm pretty sure I've missed something. So do have a go at me. Tweet us on Twitter at YOH football if you think something else should have been in this category but there was a lot to choose from I've gone with Chavez's free kick in Mexico versus Saudi Arabia absolutely beautiful and kind of eclipsed Rashford's free kick from the previous night Abubakar's audacious chip in Cameroon versus Serbia Netherlands's team masterpiece in Netherlands versus the USA in the second round and Pike Sun Ho's long-range effort for South Korea to pull one back against Brazil, which didn't even get on the list of BBC's best goals. They did have Rickarlson's goal from earlier in that match where he sort of controls it on his head. But I kind of think it's kind of... It's not fair to not give that a shout-out, in my opinion. My winner is Chavez's free kick. I thought it was an absolutely amazing free kick. But like I say, a lot of great goals on that list. I'm sure there's a lot more... To just have a big goal. And I think, you know, if that Morocco overhead kick would have gone in against France, that would have been my goal of the tournament. But I'm going to go with Chavez for Mexico. Right, we reach best match. Again, quite a competitive category. There were a few that kind of missed out on my nominations, but these are the four I've gone with Netherlands versus Argentina in the World Cup quarterfinal, Germany versus Japan from the group stage. K1 
Cameroon versus Serbia, that classic 3-3 draw in the group stage. And Ghana versus South Korea, which was 3-2 to Ghana and a great end-to-end -end match. And those last two matches actually happened on the same day, which was quite something. But the winner, I have to give it to the Netherlands versus Argentina. This was an incredible match that had basically everything. Had the drama of a comeback at the end with Veghorst getting that goal in the 100th minute. You had absolute handbags at dawn with everyone getting booked, substitutes coming onto the pitch, just fights almost breaking out. And it just had such drama all the way to the penalty shootout. And obviously Argentina won that. And for me, it was the best game of the tournament. And it was a complete like every second of that was just like, what in hell is going on here? Right now, it's a big one where we announce our best team, our best 11 players who played at this World Cup. So we start off, obviously, with goalkeeper, and there's a lot of competition for this one. It was a really good tournament for goalkeepers. My honourable mentions are Szczesny for Poland and Chris Sutton on uh, Radio 5 Live. It was calling him the one and only, like Szczesny Hawks. <laughs> Szczesny Hawks, or Chesney Hawks, should I say. Bono from Morocco, who was a little bit shaky in the third place playoff, but otherwise had a very good tournament, lots of good saves. Loris for France, very important against England and Morocco, really. And Alisson from Brazil, I think, had a really good tournament as well. But I've given it to Levakovic from Croatia. It had to be for his fantastic penalty saves, not only against Japan, but also against Brazil. And that game against Brazil, for me, he was man the match with all the saves he made. Incredible stuff. Kept them in the tournament. In defence, I've gone for Hakimi for Morocco. The PSG star had a good tournament. Guavidol for Croatia, the masked defender. This one was quite surprising. It went for Suta for Australia, who thought, I thought was excellent in the group stage. And really, he was one of those stars of that Australia team who got to the second round. And really, it was quite close with them and Argentina. And then we also got with Hernandez for France, who scored that important goal in the semi-final, has had a good tournament coming in for his brother after the first match. Honourable mentions go to Acuna for Argentina, because I like to say Acuna Matada. Kunde for France. Stones for England, who had a good tournament. And Blind, Daily Blind, the veteran for the Netherlands, also had a good one. I think he scored, was it? I think he scored two goals, if I'm right, thinking. So in midfield, I've gone for Amrabat, although my brother calls him Adobe Acrobat for Morocco. Uh, Griezmann for France, who was just everywhere on the pitch. He seemed to be in his own box, in the opposition's box, setting everything up. I mean, that game against England, he was absolutely excellent. And the best, I think he's probably been France's best player at this tournament. And also gone for Jude Bellingham, my only England player in this eleven. Had a fantastic game against Senegal and brilliant in the group stages. One of the rising stars definitely coming through. You think how young he is now, how good he's going to be at the next World Cup. It's going to be off the scale. Honourable mentions to Ziyech for Morocco. Fernandez for Argentina. Probably fizzled out a little bit in later stages, but brilliant in the early stages. Uh, the veteran Luka Modric for Croatia. And Joao Felix for Portugal, who set up and scored a bunch of goals, particularly in that uh, drubbing of Switzerland in the second round. Right, my front three. Obviously, lots of competition here. One big name is going to miss out. So I've gone for Messi 
for Argentina, of course. Now, I have had my issues with Messi, but I think he's been fantastic. Particularly that third goal against Croatia was absolute stunning skill there. Got Olivier Giroud for France. Really important player for them. Someone who probably wouldn't have played had Benzema not got injured. Just a fantastic veteran. Actually, he seems a lot better than he ever played for Arsenal in a France shirt. And this one might be controversial, but I've gone for Alvarez for Argentina. You know, great stuff, particularly as the tournament's gone on. He's kind of grown as a player. I think he deserves this ahead of Mbappe, who was my other sort of pick for France. Other honourable mentions. Abubakar for Cameroon for being really entertaining, scoring two goals, getting sent off. What a memorable player from this tournament, not just for his amazing name. Rikalson for Brazil almost got into my team as well. You know, that fantastic... He's had some absolutely brilliant goals at the tournament. You know, the header control, the uh, bicycle kick. Um, Saka and Rashford for England. I mean, Rashford for, for... If you go by minutes, Rashford had the best minutes on the pitch. The game against Wales and when he was on the pitch in the Iran match, he made his presence felt. Perhaps didn't do, do, do too much against France, but didn't get a lot of time. You know, Saka looked bright from minute one of this tournament. And again, like Bellingham is a player who's probably only going to get better with time. So really looking forward to how he does in the future. And I've also gone for Cody Gakpo for the Netherlands, who basically single-handedly got the Netherlands to the knockout stages as group winners. So you've got to give him massive props. So do you agree with my team of the tournament? I bet you don't. But let me know your team at YHFootball on Twitter. So that is it. The World Cup is over in Qatar in 2022. So let's go through some of the positives and negatives of the tournament. Starting with the positives. This tournament had the classic World Cup drama. The group stage ending was fantastic, particularly in Group E, where you had the Japan, Costa Rica, Germany, Spain permutations. Also pretty great in Group H with South Korea getting that last gasp goal to qualify ahead of Uruguay. Then we had the round of 16 and particularly the quarterfinals, which was the best round of this tournament. You had, I think it was two games that went to extra time. Really great games on that Friday night. And the England-France game was fantastic, although we got kind of a result we didn't really want in the end. In terms of on the field, it has been really entertaining. The other thing I would say is positive is overall there's been less violence at this tournament than there was at previous ones like the Euro 2020 where there was big riot that broke out for the match and in Russia 2018 with Russian and English fans. So we haven't seen the same scenes here and it might be because they banned alcohol from the stadiums. So maybe, although that obviously went down like a lead balloon, it did have some positives. I suppose also that the, the World Cup being in the winter wasn't as much of a problem as we thought it would be. And actually we had some really good games and it did affect the quality of the football it just felt different to start off with, but then really just felt like any other World Cup, except, you know, you're having colds and I have COVID and stuff like that. So for me, that, that wasn't really a sticking point of this tournament. I guess negatives, we have to talk about the controversy and the way FIFA have approached that controversy also has been very, very poor. Uh, you know, we had everything from the armband fiasco, which obviously uh, the One Love armband fiasco where they couldn't wear the armbands, bucket hat stuff where they couldn't take rainbow bucket hats in than they could and all this stuff that really FIFA were very much wanting to go along with this Qatar propaganda line pushing Qatar as a good place but also allow accepting and allowing things like being anti-LGBTQ rights 
that they shouldn't have been doing. And that should really be, it should be in the terms of like who can host a World Cup should be, what are their human rights like? That should be an obvious one, shouldn't it? Another negative would be the poor quality of host nation as a footballing side as Qatar really were disappointing, didn't get any points at all, only got one goal and probably worse than South Africa in the 2010 World Cup who did all right but obviously didn't qualify. As, as a host nation, it's definitely been the worst host nation in terms of footballing quality. There's also been disappointing attendance, you know, having these em- half-empty stadiums, atmospheres have been a bit choppy and that's also affected the football those first halves of matches particularly in the group stages were a bit of a drag i do think the four games a day is too much although it is probably what we're going to get in future world cups considering we're going to up the fixture list significantly i would suspect we will see four games a day in the usa canada mexico in four years time but i do think it was kind of really crammed in and the better days of the World Cup really were when it got to that final stage where you had the two games at once, one, two at three and two at seven. That worked a lot better, actually, in terms of the excitement and everything, in terms of just being able to digest it a bit better rather than constantly football flying past you every sort of hour and not you're not really kind of paying attention to what happened sometimes. And also, it's very, very difficult to do anything in your day if you just want to watch football, you know, and you've got anything else to do on a World Cup. You just can't do it. It's just not happening. So I think for Qatar, is mission accomplished here. You know, they have been able to, I guess, distract people from all their various ills with the football. However, they have paid a heavy price for it. I think they're going to try and host the Olympics. I think that's the kind of aim for the future. And I wouldn't be that surprised if that happened in the near future. That being said, we we can't really go away from this without thinking about the issues around LGBT rights, the issues around women's rights in Qatar and all the abuse and the deaths of the migrant workers who died building stadiums for this tournament, which probably now going to get shipped off all over the world or just destroyed. I think the legacy of Qatar will always be tainted and I think the longer we look the longer we look back at this we always will admit that hosting the World Cup in Qatar was a mistake however it still gave us a very entertaining World Cup and what we'd expect from the biggest tournament in world football So thank you for listening to the final episode in the series of Years of Hurt, an international football podcast. There will be another tournament in just about 18 months' time in Germany, Euro 2024. I can't make any promises yet whether we'll be back or not, but I will let you know. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at YHFootball. Follow me, Richard Carey, at SheepFM as well. We'd love to have you along. And now you've got a very good chance to go back and enjoy some domestic football at whatever level you enjoy it. So, from me, Richard Carey, it's goodbye. Goodbye.